Let's do a little test, all right? This is just for the fun of it. How many have ever had a moment in your life where where he was clearly the way maker? They're just there's no way, no way this happened, and all of a sudden God worked it out. Good. How about promise keeper? Everybody else let me down, nobody else, but he's kept his promises to me. Yeah. How about miracle worker? Prayed for my child, I don't know, miracle worker. Light in the darkness. I, I didn't know where I was going to go. Light in the dark. Good. Good. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Good. We'll get to you at the end of the service. We're coming back to you. So, Well, it's great to see you. Thanks for, thanks for letting me be here. Uh, it's always fun to be invited back to preach at my own church. I hardly ever get invited to preach anywhere twice in a row. So this is really, this is a real honor, real neat. And I love... Of all the places that I go, I love being here in my church and speaking to, to my, the people that I consider my family the most. I will tell you this. I don't know why I thought of this. Our friends Robert and Joan are here. They're always so gracious. And Robert's my groupie. Uh, he follows me around. But uh, so they know this story. I told them uh, last week's story. And then uh, Robert asked me about it. And I guess that's why I thought this. I, I spoke last week in uh, L.A., Doris and I were in L.A. last week, Lower Alabama. Uh, we were in uh, we were in uh, Phoenix City, Alabama, and I preached. I, I I promise you, I preached the worst message I have ever preached in my life. It was awful. It was it was just horrible. About halfway through it, I'm thinking, God, just. Just come back, Lord Jesus, and put us all out of our misery. It's just, it's just awful. It's awful, and uh, it just, you know, every once in a while you try to do something and it just doesn't work, and it was just, it was just awful. And the people were so kind, they were so gracious, but uh, man, I was never so glad to get out of town, and they were never so glad to see somebody get out of town. And so my friend Robert said, "You gonna preach that same sermon today?" <laughs> and I am. So uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway, every once in a while that just happens. I, when I was a young pastor, I was preaching a message on Sunday. It was just, and it was like, it just, it was, and I just, I finally said, I just stopped. I just said, listen, here's the kindest thing I could do for everybody. Let's just stand up and, and be dismissed right now and beat the Baptist to Bonanza. And, uh, and they all, I got a standing ovation. They said, yeah, you're killing us here. That's the great thing to do. You, you might find this hard to believe. That happens to Pastor Eddie every once in a while. Not very often, but every once in a while. In fact, I, I, I remember a story about Pastor Eddie. When he was a young pastor, he uh, was somewhere and someone else was preaching. It was, you know, kind of a, it was kind of not, wasn't going well and just a little difficult. And, and that preacher, he was losing the crowd. And, and so he said, you know, I'd just like to stop right here and say, I spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of another man's wife. Man, that got everybody's attention. They, and, the, and the guy said, it was my mother. And they all laughed. And that was just, you know, that was good. Pastor Eddie filed that away. He said, I'll use that sometime. That's good. So a couple years later, he was preaching. And it was a hot summer day. And the people weren't paying much attention. He was kind of losing the crowd. And, and so Pastor Eddie said, he remembered, he said, man, I'd just like to stop right here and say, I spent some of the best years of my life in the arms of another man's wife. 
Man, they gasped. People just, it was such a response. And it was such a response that it startled Pastor Eddie. And he, and he forgot. And all he could think of to say was, and for the life of me, I can't remember her name. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know. About well. We should we should start. Oh, let me say one other thing. It is a it's great to have my son and daughter-in-law here, uh, Jacob and Allison, and uh, and and Mike and Bonnie. Uh, it, it's just wonderful to have you all here. Thank you all for for being here today. Yeah. Now now what are we gonna do? <laughs> we just, uh, just that's called a pregnant pause. Yeah. It is. Over the last two weeks. Many of us have been mesmerized and totally dismayed as the Senate Judiciary Committee has conducted very public hearings and the FBI has launched investigations that focused on two people, Judge Brett Kavanaugh and Dr. Christine Ford. Now, please hear me. This is not a political or partisan statement. But the obvious and flagrant hatred, malice, and vitriol on both sides is nothing short of a national tragedy. I watch with tears in my eyes, not for the particular circumstances, but for the way in which the elected leaders of our land on both sides of the aisle have conducted themselves. What has happened to us? We've disintegrated and deteriorated as a country into a mean-spirited, egocentric, self-promoting collection of individualists so polarized, so divided, that any sense of civil discourse seems impossible. We draw deep lines of bitterness and loathing between parties, between races, between gender, and between religious views. And then we spew words of hatred and hostility in every social medium available, from the front page to Facebook, shock jocks to street corners. We become a nation divided and destructive of all that we once valued and held precious. And in the meantime, our poor get poorer. Our women and children suffer abuse and predation. Our people of color still face injustice and prejudice. Our educational system falls further behind the rest of the war world. We abort 3,000 unborn babies a day. We grow more confused about sexual identity and marriage norms. And there are 20 million people living in America today with current active drug and or alcohol addiction. The cultural and social issues that we face have become cataclysmic. And we as a nation are too angry with one another to even acknowledge, much less remedy them. Malcolm Muggeridge is one of my favorite writers. Malcolm Muggeridge was a... Uh, a newspaper editor about he was a protege of uh, C.S. Lewis in the in the mid 20th century, about 1930, 40, somewhere in there. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge was a non-believer who, like other people, started this search for truth and began to write a series of, of newspaper articles about why the Bible was not true. And in doing that, found a relationship with Christ and became a very a very outspoken uh, Christian. And he and C.S. Lewis, in their day, absolutely uh, turned the world around in, in terms of presenting the gospel. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge wrote this. Almost 80 years ago, he wrote this, but it sounds like he could have written it for this morning's newspaper. So the final conclusion would surely be 
that whereas other civilizations have been brought down by attacks of barbarians from without, ours has the unique distinction of training its own destroyers at its own educational institutions and then providing them with facilities for propagating their destructive ideology far and wide, all at public expense. Thus did modern man decide to abolish himself, creating his own boredom out of his own affluence, his own vulnerability out of his own strength, his own impotence out of his own erotomania, himself blowing the trumpet that brought the walls of his own city tumbling down. And having convinced himself that he was too numerous, labored with pill and scalpel and syringe to make himself fewer, until at last, having educated himself into imbecility and polluted and drugged himself into stupefaction, he killed over a weary, battered old brontosaurus and became extinct. It seems to me that our great America the Great and America the Beautiful is neither right now. It might surprise you to know that this isn't the first time that's happened. There was another city-state that, that was prominent, that was well-known, that was very powerful, that was a center of commerce and art and philosophy, uh, the, the city-state of Colossae. Colossae was a large metropolitan area. It was the, it was the, uh, the center of the wool uh, industry in the world at that time. Very affluential uh, and influential. Uh, Colossae was a, a part of the, the tri-cities, Laodicea, Heropolis, and Tera, uh, Colossae. Those three cities were, were kind of the heart of art and, and philosophy and, and industry. And then they weren't. Colossae began to deteriorate and disintegrate. It was divided and destitute and after a while was just a shadow of its former self, nearly extinct. In fact, uh, about 30 years after this letter was written that I'm going to read to you, about 30 years after that, uh, Colossae was over, overrun and then finally just disappeared from the face of the earth. But Paul writes a letter to this city that had once been great and was now not great, in a time when the world desperately needed something to be great, and Paul writes a letter to the church at Colossae. In fact, let me just tell you, I, I was re this was in my devotions this week, and I, I read this passage of Scripture, and I said, man, what a prayer. What a passage of Scripture. And about the time I read that, I got a text, and Pastor Eddie texted me and said, Hey, would you be willing to speak this Sunday? And I said, Man, that's it. I just read this passage. So, so here's the prayer that Paul prays in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 13. I, uh, every year, I try to read through the Bible every year. A lot of people do that, just kind of a habit. And I, I read a different translation every year. And this year I'm reading the New Century Version. I, I don't know why. Somebody gave me that Bible free. I, I do know why. Somebody gave me that Bible free, so I'm reading that. But this is a great translation. Because of this, since the day we heard about you, we have continued praying for you, asking God that you will know fully what He wants. We pray that you will also have great wisdom and understanding in spiritual things, so that you will live the kind of life that honors and pleases the Lord in every way. 
you will produce fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come. You will be patient. You will, be joy, you will joyfully give thanks to the Father who has made you able to have a share in all that he has prepared for his people in the kingdom of light. God has freed us by, from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a letter, in a pra- that's a prayer in a letter that Paul wrote to the city of Colossae and to the church gathered there. And he starts the, the, the prayer, or he starts this part of the letter by saying, because of this. Now let me give you a little Bible study point that I know you know this, but let me remind you. Whenever you're reading the Bible and it says, therefore, then you ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? You always go back and say, what is this about? Well, this therefore, this because of this, is found in verse 8. In verse 8, Paul writes this. Uh, he says, he, uh, he is Epaphras. Epaphras is a, a disciple of, of Paul. Apparently, Paul has never been to Colossians. This is one of the few churches that he did not begin that he writes letters to. He's never been there. He says things like, I, I have been praying for you ever since I heard about you. And Epaphras is giving Paul a report about Colossae. And so he says he, uh, Epaphras, also told us about the love you have from the Holy Spirit. Because I heard about the love you have from the Holy Spirit... I've decided to write this letter to you and pray this prayer for you. Uh, It has been right at five years ago now that Doris and I visited this church for the very first time. Pastor Eddie had asked me to speak, and we came, and I have to tell you, we fell in love with the church when we walked through the door. Well, I fell in love with the church. It took Doris a while to warm up to you all. It just she was kind of, but I fell in love with you right from the very first, and uh, and and just it has been our church ever since. There's lots of things that we loved about the church, but here's what we loved most: we loved the love from the Holy Spirit. There was just it was just obvious that there was it was a there was something different. Now there are great churches in town and great pastors and and we have visited most of those, but there was a there was a family atmosphere here. There was a connectedness and a and a love for one another that was just so apparent. And and that had to come from the Holy Spirit. So we love this church. Because of the love from the Holy Spirit. And also, by the way, the love for the Holy Spirit. We love the, the energy and the enthusiasm and the whole... Now, we're still trying to figure it out. It's, it's kind of new to us. You know, Pastor Eddie is always teasing me and he always says, You're a Nazarene. I haven't been a Nazarene for five years. I've been a member of this church for five years. But he still calls me a Nazarene. Because in the Nazarene church, we don't... You know, we, we kind of do the Holy Spirit light. We don't do the, we don't do the full on. We do the low calorie Holy Spirit in the, in the Nazarene church. And so we're kind of learning and trying to figure it out. And sometimes there's, there's a few of you ladies that just scare me to death. I'll just tell you, you, you kind of start going. I say, oh man, I don't know what we're going to do. But, uh, but we're learning <clears throat> about, uh, 
One of the things that we do as a family, actually, our daughter-in-law really initiated this for us, Allison. But every year in January, we pray together as a family. We meet and, and we'll have, uh, uh, Jacob and Allison, Josh and Jennifer, Doris and I and our grandkids. We pray together and pray for the year. Pray uh, what we want, you know, what we're asking God to do for us. To God, let us know what he wants us to do for him. We pray for each other. It's just a wonderful time. We look forward to it every year. We gather together, have a meal together, sit around the table with our, with our calendars and our projects and pray over all of that. A couple of years ago, I had, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're learning. We're, we're, we're becoming a part of this. And, and I felt impressed that God, that I was supposed to pray in tongues before my children. Now, I was the only pastor that Josh and Jacob had until they were young adults. They have never heard an unintelligible word come out of my voice, my mouth. Well, they've heard lots of unintelligible words, but they never heard spiritual unintelligible words. But I felt like, you know what, I'm supposed to do this. And so I kind of tried to prepare them a little bit, tried to warn them just a little bit. You know, guys, I'm going to do something. I might surprise you a little bit. But And so we began to pray. And I prayed in my best, uh, I, you know, tongues prayer. I don't know. I, I just, I just, I tried it. I just, I'm just going to try this and prayed that. When it was over, <clears throat> Josh, our oldest son, he looked like a deer in the headlights. I mean, he had this, oh my goodness. Jacob is so quick-witted and so fast. And, and, uh, and Jacob said, Dad, I thought that that's what you were going to do. And so I prayed and asked for interpretation. Dad, I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I said, thanks a lot. Yeah, so the next year we met, and, uh, and Allison, is, Allison said, I'd just like to talk about what we, what we did last year, and, and here's the things that we prayed about, and I made note. You know, we, here's some of the, the prayer requests we had, and here's, here's what we talked about and all that. And, and Josh, who is so quiet, but Josh said, yeah, I made notes of last year, too. Uh, let me see. Here's what Dad prayed. All right. We're, we're figuring this thing out. But it is the love from the Holy Spirit and the love for the Holy Spirit that creates a passion in the church that Paul says, I need these people to rise up and do something different Right now, when the country, when the world at its worst needs the church at its best, this is the group of people I'm going to pray for because they can make a change that nobody else can make. And so he prays five things, and I'm going to share those with you very, very quickly. These five things. In verse 9, he says, Asking God that you may know what he wants, that you will have great wisdom and understanding in spiritual things. Paul prays that they would know God's will. That they would know God's will. Let me, let me tell you, I am really good at making sure God knows what I want. I'm not quite so good at making sure I know what He wants. And Paul says, if you are going to change this dark world, you better know what God wants. And so he prays for them that they would be very, very clear about what God wants. Let me make a couple suggestions to you. Here are some. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. This is good 
and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to be saved. I think that's pretty clear. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. God wants us to do what we just sang about, to surrender all, to be, to be deeply and totally committed to Him. Uh, Hosea chapter 6 I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. God's prayer for us, God's desire for us is that we would be merciful, kind, good people. Micah 6, 8. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So God says, I want people to be saved. I want them to be sanctified. I want them to be kind. I want them to be just. That's what I want from people. And Paul says, if you're going to make a difference in the world, you better know what God wants. And he says, not only know, but fully know. Fully know what God wants. Uh, Can I tell you something about me that you might not know? I know how to play the piano. Did you know that? I know how to play the piano. I know how to fly an airplane. Do you know that? I, I know how to do those things. Now, I'm not very good at either one of those. I don't know a lot about either one of those. In fact, flying the airplane, I don't know the taking off part and the landing part, which seems to be pretty important. You know, when Jacob gets it up in the air, he turns it over me and I can fly the thing. But anything else, Doris can play the piano. Doris fully knows how to play the piano. Jacob fully knows how to fly. The Greek word is epignosis. And it means to know in a way that it just is second nature. That that it's it's as natural as breathing. To to know, Doris doesn't sit down and say, okay, middle C, let me start here. Let me go from here. That's the way I play the piano. Doris, Paul says, I pray that you know what God wants in such a way that your thoughts are his thoughts. That when you open your mouth and talk, it's what God wants. Remember the 37th Psalm, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that God's going to give you everything you want. It means you're going to want what God wants. That you are going to so fully know what God wants. That what you pray for is what God prays for. That what you want is what God wants. That what you desire is what God desires. That what you're all about is what God is all about. And if we are going to be people who make a difference in this dark world, we're going to have to be people that it just comes second nature to us that we know what God's will is and we can proclaim that boldly. Here's the second thing that he says. He says, I pray... That you would be holy. Verse 10. First part of verse 10. So that you will live the kind of life that honors and pleases God in every way. Now let me. let me. I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. A little Greek runs a restaurant. A little Hebrew runs a clothing store. Uh, that's, a, that's, a old, that's a terrible old joke. But, but let me tell you what this means in the Greek. What that phrase means. So I pray that you will live the kind of life that honors and pleases God in every way. Here's what that means in the original language. So that you will live the kind of life that honors and pleases God in every way. It's pretty straightforward. I pray that you live a holy life that honors me and allow people to see that. 
as I watched the Senate Judicial Panel and, and the legislatures on that panel, I thought to myself, many of them would call themselves Christians. But it sure doesn't look like it right now. And before I judge them, I would read my Facebook page and most of my friends on Facebook are, would call themselves Christians. But it sure doesn't look like it sometimes. Does being a Christ follower change anything about the way you live? About, the, about how you interact with other people? about the source of entertainment that you have, about where you spend your time and money, about, about what you do and where you go. Is that affected by the fact that you are a Christ follower? It, it, it should. And if it doesn't, then maybe I don't know the will of God. Maybe I don't know what He wants. John MacArthur wrote this, The credibility of the Christian gospel is inseparably linked to the integrity of the lives of those who proclaim it. That's why it's so devastating when well-known evangelists or Christian leaders are caught in some gross sin or immorality. How do you think unbelievers react when they see such hypocrisy? They laugh at it, thus blaspheming God's word and short-circuiting any opportunity we have to tell them about its power to transform their lives. The impact of the lives of men and women who bear the Lord's name is vital to the credibility of the faith and the effectiveness of personal witness and preaching. That's ultimately what is at stake in the way we live. This is not about me. It's not about you. This is about the fact that the world is looking at how we live and they're judging the effectiveness of the gospel based on how... And so Paul says, in the midst of that, I pray that you live holy and godly lives. The Greek word is... uh, 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 what is the Greek word? Peripateo. The Greek word is peripateo. And it literally means walk. That your daily walk be honoring to God. That you live in such a way that people know there's a difference. Somebody said a long time ago, I don't, I've always said this, I don't know who, where it came from. Your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Doesn't matter so much what comes out of your mouth is the way that you live every day. And our world needs that. Here's a verse of Scripture, Titus chapter 2, verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So I have two questions. Does it? And do you? Man, I'll be glad when Pastor Eddie gets back. Ah, this is... This is. I'm making myself mad preaching this. I pray that you know what God's will is. I pray that you live a holy life. And here's the third thing. I pray that you would produce fruit. The last half of verse 10, you will produce fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you know what God's will is. I pray that you live a godly life and I pray that you would produce fruit. Now, here's the deal. If we know what God wants, and at least in part, that is for everybody to be saved. And if we are living examples of his gospel in the, in the way that we live, in the way we interact with people, then it seems to me that we would, at least from time to time, be leading people to Jesus. Do we? Are we? Here's an observation about our church. I made a while back. Now, I ran this by Pastor Eddie. I got his permission to say this. 
I love our church. I, I love this church. I believe there is an amazing spirit here. I just believe it's just something special. I, I believe our worship is wonderful. Our, our, it's just, it's second to none. Pastor Eddie is one of the finest pastor preachers I know. His messages are anointed and they're right on track. And yet, very often, most of the time, at the end of the service, when Pastor Eddie will say, raise your hand or come to the front if you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, hardly ever does anyone do that. Why is that? Well, my assumption is if the Spirit's great, the worship's wonderful, and the preaching is powerful, then it's just because there aren't many people here who need to accept Christ as their personal Savior. And that means I'm not talking to enough people. I'm not inviting enough people. This is not about growing a church, by the way. This is about sharing the gospel. I, I need to do... Here's the way this works. I come into faith from the edges. I'm out here on the edges where all the, all the rough people live. And I come into the faith, and the longer I'm in the faith, the closer to the middle I get, until after a while, I'm only surrounded by other great godly people. Listen, at this point in my life, I don't know many wild and wicked, drunken heathens. Doris's family, that's about it. I mean, <laughs> apart from that, I can't think of anybody else. I, I need to be out there knowing those people and telling them about Jesus and putting a hunger in them that makes them want to come and find out about this Jesus that we serve. I, I use this anagram, or an, anagram, is that right? This, I use this, a lit, I don't know, I use letters a lot. Uh, salt, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. S, say anything. Just, just say anything, just start a conversation. Just be nice, start a conversation. A, ask questions. Do you know they are far more interested in talking about them than talking about you? So just ask questions. Oh, is that your kids? How many kids do you have? Oh, man. How, how, uh, and then listen. Just listen. Listen for an opportunity to turn the conversation to Christ. You'd be surprised at how many times on an elevator or standing in line at Walmart or at the bank that you have an opportunity just briefly to say, man, God has been so good to me. I go to a place where they could, they'd love to pray for you about that. Why don't you join me next Sunday? Say anything. Ask questions. Listen. Turn the conversation to Christ. There needs to be something in our life that is constantly at work trying to draw people toward the kingdom. I love to play tennis. Uh, <clears throat> those of you that know me that know I'm an avid tennis player. And I, I played with a guy for a number of years, Terry, who uh, was a great tennis player and not a great person. He was kind of, he was wild and woolly and out there on the edge and we didn't, and, and every time I hit a net cord, which is where the ball just barely hits the top of the net and falls over the other side. Every time I do that, I say, thank you, Jesus. I still do that today. So I, I had a net cord, ball fall over, say, thank you, Jesus. I do that two or three times in a match. I'd play tennis with Terry a couple of times a week. So a couple of times a week for two years, he would just hear, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I never said anything about it. He never said anything about it. One day, Terry called me and he said, hey, can you tell me about uh, New Vision Baptist Church? And I said, yeah, it's a great church. Uh, Brady Cooper's a pastor. He's a friend of mine. Just great. You, you'd love that. And, uh, 
what about world outreach? Oh, world outreach is wonderful. It's a huge church. Alan Jackson's a pastor. He's another good friend of mine. You'd love that. And uh, he said, what about family worship? Said, oh, I love family worship. That's where I go to church. Pastor Eddie is just the best. I said, Terry, are you thinking about going to church? He said, yeah, you know, my wife and I, we're, we're thinking maybe we should get involved in church. I said, well, how about this? For the next three Sundays, I'll meet you. Every Sunday, we'll go to a different one of those churches. And, and, I'll, and I'll introduce you to the pastor. And we'll get you. He said, yeah. And so we did. Came here. Now, he, he was way beyond Nazarene. He was more scared of the Holy Spirit stuff than I was. So he ended up. You know, one of those churches where they don't, you know, he ended up in a Nazarene church. No, I'm just kidding. No, he didn't know. Uh, but, but involved in church, you know, his life is slowly being turned around. Just say anything. But we have a responsibility as believers to bear fruit. I think that we do. And Paul says, if we're going to make a difference in this world, we're going to need to do that. Know what God wants. Live a holy life and bear fruit. The last two... I'm going to give to you just very, very fast. The last two, he says, I pray that you won't quit. Just don't quit. Verse 11, God will strengthen you with his own power so that you will not give up when troubles come. When I watch the nightly news, I get discouraged. When I go on Facebook, I get disheartened. When I look at the world around me, I get depressed. But the world at its worst needs the church at its best. And Paul says, don't quit. Don't quit. Know the will of God. Live a holy life. Bear fruit. And don't quit. Young people, I, I understand apathy. I, you've, you have heard everything from us and you can't believe any of it. And I can understand getting apathetic. But don't quit. We need you. Old people, I understand cynicism. I am one. Old, not cynicism. Oh, old. And, you know, we've, we've, we've voted. It hadn't made a difference. We've tried to do this. We've, programs have come and gone. We cannot afford to quit. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. And so we hold on. We don't quit. Know what God wants. Live a holy life. Uh, bear fruit. And don't quit. And the last thing he says, and be happy. Be happy. Verse 12. And you will joyfully give thanks to the Father who has made you able to have a share of all that he has prepared for his people in the kingdom of light. When I was growing up, my dad used to say things like, you're going to eat that broccoli and you're going to like it. <laughs> yeah. You know, all right, you're going to go out there and do the dishes and you're going to be happy about it. Now, really? This sounds a little bit like that. Sounds like Paul saying, okay. Live a godly life and don't quit and, and know what God wants. And be happy about it. Just be happy. Really, Paul? How, what do you mean by that? Well, here's how you do that. Verse 13. Verse 13. God has freed us from the power of darkness. And he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. There are two key thoughts. He has brought us into the kingdom brought us in some versions says uh, transferred or translated but the very best word is transplanted like someone leaving one country with all his belongings all his family everything he holds dear and putting down roots in another country we become citizens of another kingdom the kingdom of my of his dear son in the greek that phrase his dear son is agape halton 
uh, you, you hear that word agape, love. The love of the, it's literally the son of love. For, uh, for we have been translated, transferred, transplanted into the kingdom of the son of love. The son of his love. There's another place God, uh, that, that uh, this is used. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave the son of his love. We have been moved from this kingdom to the kingdom of the son of his love. We're citizens of this great country of ours. And the world at its worst needs the church at its best. But we're also citizens of another kingdom. The kingdom of his dear son. The son of his love. We used to sing, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. The Lord's prepared a place somewhere beyond the blue. Paul, of all people, knew the importance of citizenship. In fact, he knew what it means to have dual citizenship. To have the rights and blessings of belonging to two people groups at the same time. You remember in Philippians chapter 3, about verse 5, where Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the, I am an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul was a citizen of Israel and proud of it. But later on in Acts chapter 22, about verses 23 and 24, where he is imprisoned, uh, it says this, The commander ordered that Paul be brought uh, out and flogged and interrogated. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? If you remember that story, it sends him into a tizzy. Man, there's a panic ensues. We're getting ready to flog a Roman citizen. When, When the going gets tough, when the pressure is applied, when things are hard, you play that Roman citizen card and that changes everything. It makes a difference to be a citizen of both places. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Yesterday afternoon at 3 p.m., Judge Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed to the United States Supreme Court by a vote of 50 to 48. Now, there are some good people that are rejoicing right now. This is a great thing. Conservatives have another voice on the Supreme Court. We are really in control now. And there are some other good people that are furious. This is one more example of Trump bullying of the wounds of the broken and disenfranchised, like Dr. Christine Ford being trampled on. And you know what I say about that? I don't know the answer to all that. But I do know I have a dual citizenship. I have been translated and transplanted into a kingdom where there isn't a supreme court, there's a supreme judge. Tomorrow evening, we'll turn on the evening news. And it will again be full of hatred and bitterness. The Trump haters and the Trump lovers will be going at it again. And I care about that. But I have a dual citizenship. I have been transplanted to a kingdom where there is no president. There is a king of kings and lord of lords. Listen, on the one hand, I am worried about the needs of the poor, the alienated and the abused and the broken. But on the other hand, I belong to a kingdom where my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. I hurt for those who are despised because of the color of their skin, persecuted because of the religion of their parents, even made to feel like outcasts because of their sexual confusion and sin they live in. But my roots are in a kingdom 
where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. I am good. I am proud to be an American. I believe in my country. I believe everyone has a right to speak their mind and voice their opinion and try to bring about the change they think is best for this land of ours. But more than that, I am grateful to be a citizen of a kingdom where he shall wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. I'm not too worried about the budget crisis because in my other kingdom, my king owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. I'm not fretting over affordable health care. In my other kingdom, by his stripes, I am healed. I'm not getting too bent out of shape about the government not meeting my needs. In my other kingdom, my God is able to do exceeding abundantly more than I can even ask or imagine. I get frustrated over the high cost of rent and the lack of affordable housing. But in my other kingdom, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. And one of these days, when my Social Security is not secure and my Medicare doesn't care, they may pull the plug on me, and some will say he is no longer a burden to society. Society, he is dead. Well, don't you believe it. I will not be dead. I will be fully transplanted. I will have given up my last vestige of citizenship in this country, and I will be putting down roots in the kingdom of the Son of Love. And he will say to me, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter in to the joy of your reward. We are not good. We are not determined only by our citizenship in this country. We are determined by our citizenship in that kingdom. And we hold both of those citizenships proudly and, and knowing that one can complement the other. 